The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Oh, God, it's me, Neil Schwery. I really need your help. I know I'm not a church-going man, but if you want, I'll switch my golf games to Saturday. Don't sweat. Look, I know you don't perform a lot of miracles anymore, but... But boy, what I wouldn't give for a suitcase full of cash. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, August 11th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I've been hearing a lot of people praying and looking to God to save them from the coming prophecy of end-of-days scenarios. Interesting that God should be called upon to address a very earthbound political crisis. Donald Trump this past week, in his powerful speech delivered at CPAC, called for the United States to once again be based on Judeo-Christian values, had his home raided a day or two later by the FBI. Here in Canada... Prime Minister Justin Trudeau recently announced that we are all Muslims. And meanwhile, the attacks on Christianity by political interests in Canada continue unabated, despite recent court victories. The Catholic Pope just visited Canada on an official apology tour. He's apologizing over the treatment of Aboriginal peoples in Canada as the government today continues targeting the Aboriginal community with deadly injections, still won't give them private property rights, still can't provide clean water or reliable health care. Who's going to be apologizing for all of that in the future? Western democracies pride themselves over having accomplished what has been called a separation of the state from religion. And yet, God save the Queen. God bless America. In God we trust. Freedom of religion, religious exemptions. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning of our show today, the Word is with Bob, but the Word will still be God, as we shall investigate right after we invite you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Quote, Whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law, end quote, So begins the opening preamble to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And then, in the very first clause of said charter, the document immediately abandons those principles by, quote, 
guaranteeing the rights and freedoms subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law and demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society, end quote. Now, interestingly, the word God does not even appear once in the American Constitution, which has been lauded by religious and non-religious people alike as being the most profound document in the history of mankind, having for the first time subordinated the state to morality. As Ayn Rand insisted, quote, it cannot be repeated too often that the Constitution is a limit on government, not on private citizens, that it does not prescribe the conduct of private individuals, only the conduct of the government, that it is not a charter for government power, but a charter of the citizens' protection against the government. The history of the atrocities perpetrated by all the other kinds of governments, unrestricted governments acting on unprovable assumptions, <laughs> sounds familiar, demonstrates the value and validity of the original political theory on which the United States was built. End quote. Now, I have been driven to address an issue now that has been bothering me for quite some time, particularly as more people are beginning to awaken to the true nature of the crisis in which we find ourselves, which is not about COVID, climate change, gender change, viruses, vaccinations, war in the Ukraine, or any of the other contrived distractions calculated to take our eyes off the big picture. But it seems to me of late that many of the particularly religious media bloggers and podcasters have recently been overplaying the God card to a point where, like those who are blaming the unvaxxed for the spread of all the presumed COVID cases, they blame atheists and atheistic philosophy as a major cause of today's moral crisis. Not only do I not agree with that assertion, but with talk like that, a lot of the religious people whose political causes I do support are pushing folks like me out of their moral arena, as if to virtue signal some exclusive monopoly on morality that can only be based on faith and not on reason. Now, for those who don't know this already, since I've talked about all of this over the past many years, my view of God is very simple. God is a name that we give to the Supreme Being which I do not take to be a deity. The supreme being is exactly that, the being of all, as opposed to non-being on the level of existence itself. Not on the level of the existence of particular things. And on this we'll have a lot to say in our concluding quarter of the show today. So when I speak of God, or the supreme being, remember it's not a supreme being, you know, some being that's more su superior than others. It's the supreme being, a singular, indivisible being, existence itself. And moreover, in this context, God is not a who, but a what. And that's exactly how any question about God would have to be framed if someone went around, say, like Matt Walsh did in his movie, What is a Woman? Imagine changing the title of that documentary to What is God? Can you possibly picture the controversy and discontent that that would generate? Ask 25 people that question, and you'll get 25 different answers. And that's exactly why that question is never, or very rarely, asked or answered by people of faith, even as they are attempting to describe the nature of existence, the universe, and human consciousness. Now, I don't agree with the metaphysics or epistemology of religious doctrine, or beliefs in deity, or in an afterlife. Sorry. 
And normally, I avoid confronting people on these grounds because it's not possible to formulate a discussion or have a resolvable disagreement when one of the sides in the debate has based their views strictly on faith. I mean, that's the end of that debate. It doesn't even start. But where I do cross paths with many religious people is on the issue of morality and ethics and of politics on a lot of fundamental issues. And even so, I still know many who would object to my support on the grounds that I'm not a quote-unquote believer. Now, broadcasters, YouTubers, and bloggers like Stu Peters and Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson have often been among the few seeking the truth in everything from COVID to climate change, and for that I salute them and regard them all as honest people, you know, not out to hurt anyone, and who are, like me, tolerant of those who disagree with them over religious and philosophical issues. But every once in a while, and more frequently of late, these folks jump down their religious rabbit holes and say things which I think cross a certain line in my humble estimation. Now don't get me wrong, I don't object to religious allegory, parables, and other narratives that illustrate a valid principle of human behavior. And I use the word God a lot in my conversations. So to start off with a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, on this side of our upcoming bumper, we'll be hearing Stu Peters from his broadcast of June 1st, while on the return side of the bumper, it'll be Laurel and Tyler Thompson from her August 4th show. Now what both of these selections have in common is their guest, a fellow named Clay Clark, who apparently organizes a lot of events in the U.S. alerting the public to the dangers of the COVID injections and the lies being told by our governments and mainstream media. So good on him for doing that. But then the discussions go completely awry as they become entirely about religion and being saved by God or the second coming of Christ, something that I do not see as adding value or credibility to their otherwise correct and reasonable stands on a given political issue. To his credit, Stu Peters directly addressed this concern, fully recognizing the risk he's taking by possibly losing part of his audience. Well, unless he starts to support causes on the left, Stu Peters won't be losing me on this account, even if I disagree with his religious views, because, you know, I also understand that when it comes to faith, that's a driving motivational force that actually pushes a lot of people in the right direction. And so if you're sensing a bit of a paradox here, you would be right. And we'll be talking about that as our show progresses. We know that this plan is diabolical, it's cynical, it's meant for world domination, a completely subservient population, possibly control and manipulation, tracking all of these different things, a complete violation of your rights, and also, by the way, a slow and long and painful death. Virtually everybody who has had these shots, especially those that are boosted, are going to die an early death. Well, what I believe this is this is uh, uh, it's not a positive outlook. It's just based upon facts. And by the way, folks, God wasn't surprised by this. Okay, it's called the Book of Revelation. There's chapter thirteen, verses sixteen through eight through eighteen that prophesied this. There's also the Book of Daniel. It talks about the fourth kingdom. But at the World Economic Forum, Stu Pekka P E K K A Lundmark said the loud part out loud. Okay, again, COVID nineteen, the Great Reset, is the plan by a Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum. And Pekka was asked about the future of smartphone technology. And uh, he blew everybody's mind because he actually said this out loud. Listen to this, folks. This is Pekka. Talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030, I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we 
know it today will not anymore build, be the usual kind of the most common interface. Wow. This, this, many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. He just said, they're asking him about the future of smartphones and the CEO of, of Nokia says, well, these things will be built into our bodies. And then Helen Clark from the World Economic Forum, she said that moving forward, we need to be able to deploy the World Health Organization on site. They're saying it out loud now. So what's happening, Stu, is they're saying the loud part out loud. And I want to make sure everyone understands this. COVID-19 stands for Certificate of Vaccination, IDAI. And it's to introduce three things. A thing called dataism, their new religion that Yuval Noah Harari speaks of. It's all based upon controlling everywhere you go, putting RNA modifying nanotechnology inside your body. It has the ability to control your thoughts and to make it where you can't buy or sell without this technology inside your body. So the question I would have for everybody watching right now is, do you believe in your Bible? Or have you read your Bible recently? And who am I, who am I preaching to? I'm preaching to myself. I encourage you to get your Bible out today. Dust out Daniel chapter 7. Read about the fourth kingdom, a.k.a. the fourth industrial revolution. And open up the book of Revelation chapter 13. And you'll see what uh, the deep state has planned. But Stu, your show is able to share the truth because you view the Bible as the irrefutable word of God. Therefore, you have ears to hear and eyes to see what is happening. But it is, impo it is impossible for people to discern if they don't know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I encourage everybody, Proverbs 9.10 says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of holy is understanding. And Stu, that's what I'm trying to do on our tours. That's why we're doing these events is I'm trying to get thousands of people to come into a place. I don't take an income. I don't take a salary. And I try, try to provide, provide a platform for people to hear the voice of Dr. Sherry Tenpenny and, you know, doc, people like Dr. Kerry Madej. And sadly, or maybe encouragingly, most people tell me at the tour they have no idea. They had no idea who these people were previous to attending. They, 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 they buy a ticket because they want to see a General Flynn or a Mike Lindell or whoever. And they get there and people, so people have tears in their eyes because people have been they continue to watch Fox News. And when you watch Fox News, you get manipulated. So I encourage everybody today as an action step, keep watching the Stu Peters show because you don't want half truth. You don't want truthiness to read the Bible because the Bible will help you have ears to hear and eyes to see. And that's how you've been able to filter all the BS in my opinions Stu. I don't want to get preachy either. Okay. And I'm only speaking from personal experience. I'll never preach at you or anybody. And yes, people are going to continue watching the show because I'm not afraid of anything. I, I don't care. These, these people, these, Satan worshipers, these demonic forces cannot do anything to me. But that's what I want to talk about is this. The truest test of faith is the most difficult test of faith. And that is when in your personal lives or in your professional lives or virtually from every single angle in your life, yeah. these attacks are coming at you. And here's the test of faith. Will you fully trust in and strap on the armor of God and believe with every fiber in your being that it is truly impenetrable? And will you rest in the pavilion of safety that he provides? And will you wait on him? And will you fully trust in him and accept and obey his counsel every day of your life? We try to make things happen on our own. And when we try to make things happen on our own, that's when we end up in these situations. But this is the only this is the only force in your life that you must comply with. And I wear that on my sleeve every single day. I'm unashamed to talk about Jesus Christ on this show. He's my Lord and Savior. Nobody else with a platform of this magnitude is doing that. Uh, sometimes it's to the detriment we probably lose people saying, oh, he thinks he's a preacher now. That's not the case. I'm sharing my personal testimony, and I am so blessed by all of the testimonies that from this desk 
at this show and this studio and in those emails that I see every day that I'm able to watch people in the worst places of their lives yep. come then and write to me that they have now found Jesus and that things have changed completely, that they have been saved, that they have been physically saved, that they have lived, that they have avoided certain situations. And so, again, not to be preachy here, but just to say oh. this is times like this are absolutely the truest, most purest form of your test of faith. Halt crude oil exports. Totally banned. Stop oil and gas drilling in the outer continental shelf. Restrict international trade and private investment in fossil fuels. That's sanctions where you can't invest in it. Grow domestic manufacturing for clean energy and transportation to speed the nationwide transition off fossil fuels. They did this in Spain. They did this in Sri Lanka. They never transitioned. It's not designed. It collapses society. It's the carbon lockdown. There it is, the carbon lockdown. So that's where this all takes us. It's so devastating. Just... Um, yeah, this is what's happening. I, I, I hear you. And, and it's happening around the world. And that's why we have so many people protesting. It's happening in Canada as well. They've all gotten on the same page again, Clay. And I and I and I I'm not trying to discourage anybody at all. I just want to be clear with facts. I'm a big fact guy. So what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna cite a bunch of facts. I want everyone to wrestle with what I'm saying. Aaron, what I'm gonna do, we'll kind of tee it up here. Get, get, get we're getting kind of a good flow here. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do is we're gonna go rapid fire. And when okay. I get, show, cite these facts, I encourage everyone to pause the show, take notes, we're gonna get into it. And I'm not going to discourage, but I'm going to share a fact, and I'm going to let Aaron react to it. We're going to go 90 miles an hour, okay? Right. So first off, Revelation uh, 16, 12 from the Bible, the Bible, the Revelation uh, chapter 16, verse 12, says, And the sixth angel poured out his violent upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the king of the east might be prepared. Uh, be clear here, folks. The book Revelation was written by John. It was inspired by God, who appeared to John via an open vision. It's the end of the Bible. A lot of people say, well, uh, we win in the end. Woo! Christians say, we win in the end, brother. Yeah! Woo! Pass the day, Quill, because we win in the end. I'm like... The Euphrates has been the cradle of civilization in West Asia. The river has been the lifeline for millions in Iraq and Syria for thousands of years. But now it has sunk to a historic low. Okay, the Euphrates River is drying up. The Euphrates. Uh, Aaron, yeah. uh... So, that, here's the thing. Russia, a lot of people think Magog in Revelation is Russia, and so Gog is Russia, and the kings of the east coming across the Euphrates, a lot of people think this opens up the way. The Euphrates River has was from the book of Genesis was a river. So now oh, we're yeah. talking over all this time. Raging, rushing river. Yeah, you would plentiful. never have been able to come across this river, but the Battle of Armageddon, I mean, all of the that. Birthplace yeah. of life, the birthplace yeah. of civilization began the, the Tigris, the Euphrates. Well, yeah. Mesopotamia, the whole deal of river I mean, balance. there is an exciting part to this. Though, oh, yeah. Right? And the exciting part is that, you know, for every reference to the first coming of Christ in Scripture, yes. there are actually eight references about the second coming. Second, right. second thing is uh, Biden signed a two-state agreement with the interim leadership of Jerusalem, and he signed it 666 days uh -oh, after Trump signed the Abraham Accords. Hmm. 
And this agreement returns Israel to a pre-1967 indefensible border. Indefensible. And he signed it again, folks. He signed this. Joe Biden signed the Jerusalem Declaration on July 14th, 2022, which is 666 days after Trump signed the Abraham Accords on September 15th, 2020. And if if you want to see the video, I, I named it properly on Rumble so you can find it really easily. You just go to Rumble. You type in 666 and click, click enter. Yeah, there's, there it is. There's so you can it. see it right there. Uh, so the World Economic Forum, their, their logo is 666. Yeah. Now they're located, the World Economic Forum is located 6.66 miles away from CERN. Think about that. But Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, this guy who controls Trudeau up there in Canada, this yeah. guy, yeah. the logo of his organization is a 666. Is that concerning or have I had too much Dayquil? If anybody else, imagine that your show, you got a great logo for your show. Imagine you said, welcome onto, the, onto my show. And before we hop on my show, I'd like to show you my logo. And it cues up the patriotic music. And it's, <laughs> now all of a sudden, you see the six and the six. Number six. of the beast. Number yeah. of the beast. Here to talk about I mean, I would be a little concerned, okay? That's what they do at every meeting. It's on every website, every so print piece. Come on now. So true. The goat head. The goat head. Now, CERN, their logo is 666. And in front of CERN, they have a statue of the god of Sheba in front of CERN. Not good. Now, if you haven't read Revelation 9-11 for a while, now, by the way, I've, I've started reading Revelation out loud the last two years. Mm. And sometimes I just shout it when I say it because it wakes me up. A lot of times we got to get excited about the Word of God. I'm being Amen. serious. That's and true. it says, and they had a king over them, Revelation 9-11. They had a king over them, which is, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue, half his name, Apollyon. Hello? Hello? Is this on? Folks, CERN is located on top of the former temple of Apollyon. Mm. That's where they're located. Wow. Uh, well, you know, what? they say location, location, location. And, and their logo is 666. Even Stephen Hawking said if they are successful at CERN, they could end humanity. And someone says he didn't say that. Look this up, folks. Type in Hawking, CNET. Here you go. This is the actual phrase to type in. Type it in. Stephen Hawking, God particle, could wipe out the universe. That is right here on scene. On scene? Come on, man. Okay, let's continue now. Now, the word corona is 666. This is the baffling part to me about Christianity. I have a real hard time with Christians this year. I have had such a hard time. Jesus grant me the peace to deal with this. I, I'm serious. I am so, I am just so blown away by, this is what I see all the time. I say, this is the word corona. It literally equals 666. C is the 3, O is the 15, R is the 15th, O is the 15, N is the 14th, A is the 1. Add it up, it's 66. There's six letters. And the logo for the organization leading the Great Reset is 666. Hmm. And Bill Gates has a patent with a publication number, W02020060606, which exactly fulfills mechanically the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. Talk about sick, sick, sick. I just couldn't take it anymore. I didn't learn a single thing, quote-unquote, fact or otherwise, from anything that Clay Clark said in our chosen excerpts. This is what I mean when religion, brought into a discussion, crosses a critical line, from reality to confused allegory and metaphor that pretty well precludes any ability to think. So rather than attempt to dispute his bizarre associations and assertions, I thought it better just to address a couple of basics. The Bible, atheism, and the afterlife with its components of heaven and hell. Now the Bible is a book of narratives, 
But the events and predictions made in the Bible are no more prophecy than are the events and predictions that one might find in any history book or historical account. When I hear people cite the Bible as prophecy, what I hear is, hey look, history keeps repeating over and over and over again. And that's a legitimate observation to a point, but there's nothing supernatural about it. And then there's atheism. Atheism isn't a thing. Theism is the thing. There's a new dial-up prayer for atheists. You call a number and nobody answers. <laughs> yeah, that's about the size of it. And deity or not, God is a necessary concept. That's why it exists despite anything people may believe or not believe about God. Like existence itself, God is axiomatic. Can't be proven, can't be disproven. More about that later. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I see that statement as a declaration of the emergence of concept and the emergence of reason. The Word, literally. And finally, there's heaven, hell, and the afterlife. I've never really understood the appeal of an afterlife. H.L. Mencken used to observe how most people simply could not conceive of their own non-existence. So, I suppose a belief in an afterlife meets that need. Either way, whether there is or is not an afterlife, our belief or lack thereof in one would make no difference to the reality of it. Still, even given the most idyllic and ideal descriptions, I cannot even conceptualize afterlife concepts, let alone consider them desirable. Even when I hear heaven described, it sounds like a nightmare to me. You want to know how heaven has been described to me since I was a child? Are you sitting down for this? Heaven is where you'll own nothing and be happy. Sound familiar? Apparently, what Klaus Schwab describes as our coming hell on earth miraculously transmogrifies into heaven in the afterlife. And this brings me to the moral paradox I hinted at earlier. On the one hand, you have those who cannot conceive of morality existing without faith in a God and in an afterlife, while on the other hand, you have those who cannot conceive of morality being based on anything but reason within a finite life itself, which is the very thing that gives that life value. But the moralities themselves, amazingly, are not that different from each other. They tend to overlap because both sides hold life to be the general standard of morality. Now, of course, all this presumes that the theists and atheists alike that I'm talking about <laughs> sit on the right side of the political polarity. Because if they're all on the left, the death cult, hey, None of this matters. And he walked by on the other side, leaving the man helpless. But then, who should wander by but a Samaritan of all people? And he actually helped the man. Hang on, Master. No, he did. He went over and actually... N no, sorry. No, no, no. I, I mean, this is what I'm saying. That a Samaritan, all right, so have a good think about your attitudes, went and helped. Yeah, no, I see. No, no, no stick with it. Because what I'm saying is that he was a good... Samaritan. That's good Samaritan, if you could imagine such a thing. Yes! 
Yes, I can. I, I think we all can. Yeah. I, I know there's a lot of prejudice against Samaritans, which is terrible, but I'm sure I speak for everyone in this room when I say that there are loads of really nice Samaritans. Yeah, some of my best friends are Samaritans. <laughs> yeah, me and the wife went on holiday to Samaria last year and they were lovely people. Couldn't do enough for you. Yeah. So, no, no, so what I'm finding offensive, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, is your unreflecting acceptance of this cliché that all Samaritans are wankers. No, I'm saying he was good. Yeah, but you're implying that the fact that he was good is worth a story in itself. It's some kind of weird curiosity, like an albino Nubian. No, I'm saying that goodness comes in unexpected places. Yeah, and I'm saying that the fact that you wouldn't expect goodness from a Samaritan betrays your inherent racism. <laughs> OK, OK, all right, that's a big word. Let's just take a deep breath here. I didn't mean to offend anybody, that's the last thing I intended. Um, I didn't realise there were any Samaritans in the room. No, that's not the point. Or Samaritan sympathisers, you know, Sammy lovers. Oh, I can't believe I'm hearing this. No, 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 I, I didn't realise it was such a PC environment here, and I suppose I thought that having what was only intended as a fond pop at our Samaritan neighbours, friends even, if you like, would not be inappropriate in the context of a story which is, after all, about goodness. And at the end of the day, it is only a parable. What, it didn't really happen? Well, of course not. A Samaritan tosser wouldn't do that for his own grandmother. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Jesus. What?! <laughs> Zavzolenko died, not obviously of the COVID jab, or COVID, he died of cancer. Cancer finally caught up to him. He's been battling it for a long time, and that's sad. But his last message was that he was ready to go to his maker. He had no fear because he had faith, and that's, uh, that's what's getting a lot of us through. Faith, faith. I was in the car the other day and heard a sermon, just part of it, and it was about resting in God. And it was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment. Rest in God. If there are things that are beyond your control, and you're fretting about them, and you're worrying about them, you're constantly trying to fix them, then you're not, you're not resting in God and you have to turn to your faith and put that in God's hands because it's too big you know it's too big it's so big it's so big everyone every piece of our lives is being attacked at once. Naomi Wolf in that conversation with Sarah Westall was like, I think Sarah said, Sarah asked her, how do you see us fighting this and winning, Naomi? And Naomi said, you know, this is so big. It's so coordinated. It's so evil. It's so full spectrum that Naomi said, 
I can't, I can't find ways to talk about this anymore without reference to the supernatural. Like it's good versus evil. And over and over and over, we're seeing people who who get into this uh, whole whole corona investigation from various angles. We're seeing so many of them start off as basically, you might call them atheists, you might call them secular humanists, definitely not overly faithful people at all. We're seeing almost all of them eventually say, it's good versus evil. This is beyond the natural realm. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And in saying what she just did, Polly St. George has identified for me two fundamental misunderstandings on the part of people of so-called faith. And ironically, she fell into the same trap described in the Good Samaritan parable as humorously performed by that Mitchell and Webb look. Just as the storyteller indirectly expresses his astonishment that a Samaritan could be good, so too, Pauli St. George has implied by saying that even atheists and secularists say this is good versus evil, as if atheists and secularists were ever unaware of good and evil. Good and evil are not supernatural phenomenon. They are values. Objectivism describes the good this way. All that which is proper to the life of a rational being is the good. All that which destroys it is the evil. The standard by which one judges what is good or evil is man's life. And like good and evil, free will too is not a supernatural phenomenon. As the character John Galt in Atlas Shrugged put it, quote, That which you call your soul or spirit is your consciousness, and that which you call free will is your mind's freedom to think or not. To think is an act of choice. Man is a being of volitional consciousness. Reason does not work automatically. Thinking is not a mechanical process. A being of volitional consciousness has no automatic course of behavior. He needs a code of values to guide his actions. End quote. And you know, this is a principle that I have to admit I keep forgetting myself, even as I keep drawing attention to the symptoms of that principle. We talk about them all the time, the victims of mass formation and other collectivist phenomenon. They are not conscious simply because they have chosen to be so. Could this be the principle that explains the lack of awareness of so many? Simply that they haven't chosen to be conscious? Or worse, that they have chosen to remain unconscious? Coming up next, Jay Dyer of InfoWars attempts to explain God based on, believe it or not, metaphysics, while at the same time alerting us to the dangers of the Enlightenment. He <laughs> hikes. What was discarded in the modern era that was so crucial to the ancient and medieval world, something that we've lost, not just the wisdom of the ancients, but the idea of a discipline of philosophy that's called metaphysics. Now, if you go to a bookstore, uh, you might be duped into thinking that metaphysics is something to do with witchcraft, cryptozoology, or something like that, because they usually title the metaphysics section where they have all the witchcraft books or whatever. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> the ancient and medieval world's uh, usage of the term metaphysics had to do with what exists and what doesn't exist, what's real and what's not real. 
if you think, well, what does that have to do with me? Why does philosophy matter? Well, philosophy matters because it's the the pathway to where we are in the in the modern world. It's how we got to where we are. The ideological trek from the ancient to the medieval world, <clears throat> and then the transition after the Enlightenment and uh, the revolutionary period, the French Revolution, and so forth, to get to the modern atheistic, materialistic, Darwinian world that we're in now. In order to understand that trek and that process and where we will go if we don't stop the way things are going. And so what are the remedies for this? Well, some of the remedies are clear and coherent thinking, critical thinking, right? How do we have a, a, a ready at hand uh, sort of arsenal of ways to think logically so that we don't get duped by propaganda, so that we don't get uh, duped into emotional, emotive responses to things, right? Talking about Aristotle and Plato, the uh, fathers, you could say, of Western philosophy. What are the pros and the cons of their thought process? Well, on the one hand, uh, Aristotle was uh, good in that he taught us to look at the here and the now, and he was kind of the proto-scientist. So he really pioneered the idea of empirical data and reasoning, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, of course, you can also swing too far to that side of the pendulum, and you can get bogged down in the here and the now and empiricism or materialism, the idea that all that exists is the, the material world. And so Aristotle kind of inadvertently uh, kicks that off. But his master, Plato, was kind of in the other direction, right? He was the extreme of the rational, the transcendent, not so much the here and the now, but focusing on the abstract. And so uh, Plato was very influenced by the ancient mystery schools and the idea of numbers and, and Pythagorean principles, kind of having their own independent ethereal existence. Plato's Phaedo uh, is a fascinating discussion, not just of the, the origin and structure of the world like the Timaeus, but how do we understand things like abstract principles? How do we understand things like truth, justice, mercy in themselves? What are they in themselves, right? Are they just human relations to one another? Is it just a token term that we give, a name that we give to something? Or is there a real existence of the good? Is there a real existence of the beautiful? What about particular things as they relate to universal things? But what we can find that's most fascinating in Plato is an early attempt to describe fundamental minutia-level reality in an ordered, structured way. This shows us design, right? We, this shows us that there's not random, pure chaos in the world, but there's actually structure to the world. And the only way that we would get this kind of uh, high-level and low-level structuring, the uh, you can even see this, for example, uh, in um, uh, the, the patterns that we see in nature, for example. Uh, the, the structures that we see in plants, the structures that we see, the Fibonacci sequence, these kinds of things. Um, when we look at reality in that way, we can see that clearly there has to be, have, be a single divine mind involved in the teleological structuring of the world or the giving the world purpose, that it has a structure and a design, even in nature itself, that is not chaotic, it is not random, uh, it does have elements of randomness, but it is ordered and designed. That structuring of the world um, doesn't make sense if the world is a product of pure chaos and pure chance. And so the idea that there is no God, there is no uh, uh, you know force behind the world, no creator, it's just sort of a, uh, a bunch of goo and muck that's spraying out of a black hole randomly, it really makes no sense as modern physics and science and engineering probes the depths of reality. 
and finds it to be so highly structured, right? It makes no sense that there would be pure chaos ruling everything, and yet at the same time we have the ability to have order. That that reality itself is 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 just a, a basically a giant fabric that's highly structured. But I critique Darwinism and I critique the anti-creation type of view from a philosophical perspective, pointing out the the dead ends that we would be in, the, the, the way that if the atheist kind of worldview, the materialist worldview, if it was true, this would actually make knowledge impossible. We wouldn't have the ability to have knowledge. And so I kind of go into um, what would be the in result of a universe like that. And so the fact that we do have knowledge, the fact that we do have the ability to predicate things in the world, that we have the ability to do uh, reasoning, to do logic and so forth, those things themselves show us that the world cannot be a purely material world, right? In other words, that all that exists is matter. Talking about it in the philosophical sense of the idea that nothing exists except pure, solid, hardcore matter. That's it atheistic materialism, the, the model of the universe as created uh, by a single creator God makes way more sense and fits the data. It gives explanatory power. It gives a justification for knowledge, whereas the opposing worldview, a worldview that's pure chaos, chance, randomness, meaninglessness, leads to nihilism and thus the impossibility of knowledge. And it's not that the Enlightenment itself is all bad, but rather the excesses of the Enlightenment are the problem. And so what we get there is a really insightful critique of, as we said, the atheism, the materialism, the uh, denial of anything transcendent, the denial of anything beyond pure passions, right? Pure bodily gratification, that man doesn't have any faculties above just the desire for physical gratification. Man is basically just another phenomena of the natural world, just another monkey. And there's multiple problems with this. I mean, not beyond just the idea of the, the scientific critique of that uh, that worldview, but in the philosophical domain, it's very easy to show that this is pure nonsense. The idea of man as a uh, pure, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, basically, just an emergent uh, phenomena of the natural world, right? He doesn't have any design or any purpose beyond physical gratification. And this is a means then of control because if they promote that worldview that you're just a, a, an animal, just a, an ape, uh, just cattle, then you become much more malleable and much more um, susceptible to control. And so what I really wanted to do in this book was to wake people up to the fact that you're not just an animal. You have a soul, you have a reasoning faculty, and you were made for a higher purpose than just physical gratification. You were made to be uh, an eternal living thing, right? You were made to live forever. There's both pros and cons that we can find in ancient Egyptian theology and philosophy, where we find not just a creation account on the part of the deity or the monad or the one, but even in terms of the structure of reality itself, kind of being this binary thing where there's um, a, a fundamental energetic rel a, a, a created realm, right, what the, that's structured in a highly structured way that revolves around uh, being and non-being or on and off, right? And you, we can see this in terms of electricity, right? Where the current, uh, the way it flows and the when you turn a thing on, right? You see that the current flows or it's an, an interrupted and it can't flow. 
if we wanted to find other domains where we could look in the philosophers and see a real uh, clear refutation of modern errors, we could look at the way that numbers themselves refute materialism. Uh, even modern philosophers like Thomas Nagel, uh, who was uh, for many years, you know, famous, I think, a materialist and uh, really struggle with the idea of how there could be such a thing as consciousness if we are just pure bags, meat bags. If we're just matter, then what does it mean to say that we have a mind? Because there's, a, there's this uh, problem that plagues modern philosophy uh, known as the consciousness problem, right? How can we say that we have a mind when all we are is molecules? Because what molecules make up mind? What molecules make up the self? You can immediately see how these are problematic, right? Because there's no clear delineation. And if persons or minds are just molecules, then there is no such thing as a mind or a self, right? Because molecules are just molecules. They're, they're all the same. And so ultimately, this, this is called monism. It's the idea that all that exists is one type of thing. Right. And this is a problematic view. And it, it's not just problematic in the sense that it doesn't make sense. It actually makes knowledge impossible. Right. Because my brain is not the same as your brain. Right. And if if the brain is, is equivalent to the mind, if we if we reduce it's called reductionism, we reduce the mind to the brain, then how is it that you and I can think of and talk about the same concepts? Right. Because the concept in my head is not the concept in your head, because if concepts are also just gray matter, then the gray matter up here is different from the gray matter in your head. So you can begin to see how this becomes absurdity, it becomes nonsense. Uh, Renaissance philosopher John Dee thought that you could take a lot of this uh, mysticism from Plato and the in, in Egyptology and turn it into a technology of transhumanism. So there's actually an article in there about the golem, about the creation of a of a, a, a of a human uh, or of a human created being that could potentially be controlled and become a, more or less a mind-controlled entity, and uh, how this kind of pre prefigures and presages the idea of an AI deity or an AI uh, self-existing or self-conscious creature, which I don't think exists. I think, that, I mean, you'll never get uh, consciousness out of an algorithm, okay? I mean, a computer is not self-conscious, okay? It's just a machine that's programmed to do what it's programmed to do. You'll never get you can no matter how many algorithms you put into a machine, it's not going to become alive. Okay, this is silly. But if you have a magical thinking worldview like uh, evolution, you could see how people would be prepped to believe that more complex machines somehow mean that it's alive. You see, this it, it's 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 absurd. Creating life out of nothing—it's really just man trying to be God, thinking that he can become God, and adopting magical thinking and absurd worldviews to further his quest to be God. Wow, I would never on my own have been able to bring together so many thoughtful misunderstandings and false assumptions, not only about the nature of existence and consciousness, but about the nature of atheism, as did Jay Dyer in that confused and misdirected set of assertions. From everything he just said, he appears to me to be completely overwhelmed by the nature of consciousness and reason, and can find no quote-unquote natural cause for their existence. So where do I begin? First, to argue that quote, a God-created universe makes way more sense and gives explanatory power, end quote, way more sense than what? Explanatory power to whom and about what? The first thing that requires explanatory analysis is the God concept itself. What do you mean by that? 
That question is never raised or ever addressed by deists. It's faith, don't you know? The universe was not created, okay? It is eternal, and therein lies the first false assumption. And if creation does indeed factor into the nature of existence, then who, what, when, where, why, or how was God created? Well, suddenly creation ceases to be a factor when it comes to the eternal existence of God. You know, here we had Jay Dyer begin his speech with, we've lost the idea of metaphysics. It's all about what exists and what doesn't exist. And he doesn't even attempt to explain why he thinks God exists. What happened to the metaphysics on that issue? In approaching the issue of existence the way he is, Dyer is not arguing cause and effect, he's arguing effect and cause. Quote, since there is design to the structure of the world, which is the effect, therefore there has to be a single divine mind in giving the world purpose and to explain the structure. End quote, and that's the cause, for which he offers no evidence other than self-evidence, I guess, I don't know. And at what relevant point has anyone ever suggested that the universe operates on pure chaos? I mean, what, what does that even mean? Does that mean that if we live in the so-called just-right Goldilocks zone of a planetary system that supports life, that this is order? While an exploding star or galaxy or supernova are instances of chaos? That's not the definition of chaos. Both of these conditions exist in the universe eternally and naturally. Or does chaos refer to some predictability factor, which can only be made possible in the minds of human beings by applying their knowledge and understanding of the universe to quote-unquote foresee certain events? Therefore, order. I don't know. Chaos and disorder, these are meaningless terms in the context of the universe as a whole. And as far as I've seen, every scientific, atheistic, quote-unquote, analysis of the universe suggests anything but chaos and disorder. And there's a lot of excellent material available on that very count, such as, for example, Conrad Ranzan's 2014 Guide to the Construction of the Natural Universe, to which I shall refer again momentarily. But first, this description of reality and existence from Objectivism's heir, Leonard Peikoff. Quote, Reality is that which exists. The unreal does not exist. The unreal is merely the negation of existence, which is the content of human consciousness when it attempts to abandon reason. Existence is a self-sufficient primary. It is not a product of supernatural dimension or of anything else. There is nothing antecedent to existence, nothing apart from it, and no alternative to it. Existence exists and only existence exists. Its existence and its nature are irreducible and unalterable. The first and primary axiomatic concepts are existence, identity, a corollary of existence, and consciousness. An axiomatic concept is the identification of a primary fact of reality which cannot be analyzed, that is, reduced to other facts or broken into component parts. One can study what exists and how consciousness functions, but one cannot analyze or prove, quote-unquote, existence as such or consciousness as such. 
These are irreducible primaries. Any attempt to prove them is self-contradictory. It is an attempt to prove existence by means of non-existence and consciousness by means of unconsciousness, end quote. And you know, in a lot of ways, that's what a lot of creationist ideology is trying to do. They're looking for a first cause where none exists. Now this is from Conrad Ranzan, his book, Guide to the Construction of the Natural Universe, which I talked about a lot in an earlier show, and I'll refer to that again later. But this, from his book, printed in 2014, he writes this, and this is really remarkable stuff. Quote, The universe is, means, that the universe is perpetual. None of the constituents of the universe is perpetual. Only the processes that quote-unquote make and destroy the constituents are perpetual. What exists must have come into existence, and what exists must pass out of existence. The universe is the sum total of what is, and what is continually coming into existence, and what is passing out of existence. Nothing more, nothing less. In the context of processes, the universe is the sum total of the energy processes, emergent processes, and termination processes. Now here's the kicker. The full implication and test requirement is that the universe cannot be a thing. It cannot be a container. It cannot even be a process. A universe that is treated as an entity, independent of its ingredients, fails. And the unavoidable conclusion, since a universe cannot be a thing, it can never have come into existence. A conforming universe simply is. End quote. And man, that is one of the most profound descriptions of the eternality of the universe. It's just a, a really well expressed. Good going there, Conrad. But I had to leave you with this conclusion, and this is from his book as well. And it's in the afterword, and here I shall quote again. Let no one say when assessing the construction of the natural universe that we failed to include its rarest quality, its supreme yet most subtle feature, its sui generis mode of manifestation, consciousness. From non-existence, essence emerges, the emergence of ether. From ether, physical entities and particles emerge, the formation of matter. From basic matter, from its aggregation, astronomical bodies emerge, the formation of stars and planets. From select matter, from its advanced stages of complexity, life emerges, the formation and evolution of animate, self-replicating matter. From life, from the pinnacle of the complexity of life, consciousness emerges, the formation of primitive to advanced levels of awareness. And from consciousness, there emerges, now and then, here and there, throughout the infinite expanse, profound instances of the matter of the universe contemplating its own existence, of a part of the universe contemplating the universe. In a sense, it may be said that the natural universe is conscious." End quote. So, it's not that it took an intelligence to quote-unquote, design the universe, because the universe was never created in the first place. What it takes intelligence to do is to understand the universe, and that is the true power of reason and reason alone.
Now, if understanding the nature of the universe, etc., is a topic that appeals to you, you might want to check out our broadcast of Just Right 623, aired September 19, 2019, entitled The Gravity of Our Situation, From the State of Science to the State of Our Universe, during which we discussed Conrad Ranzan and the dynamic steady-state universe theory, the illusion of receding galaxies, the redshift, quantum mechanics, Einstein, universal ether, the axiom of existence, and the process of gravity creation, and much more. (laughs) Yeah, we used to actually do shows like that before COVID. (laughs) And here we are again, ironically driven back to these very principles because of the COVID pandemic, which is indeed all about good and evil in a real universe that exists. You know, personally, I've always found the objective discovery of reality far more miraculous and awe-inspiring than any religious interpretations of it. To borrow an analogy, reality feels a lot more super to me than anything supernatural, (laughs) but that's just me. But I want to make it clear today that the intention of my comments is not to create a rift between religious and non-religious people who are already pretty much united on the freedom and COVID front, but to hopefully prevent them from losing track of the real evil that we are all fighting and from causing a rift because of a belief that is not real, mostly about atheism and atheists. But to increasingly find myself labeled and identified and judged by something that I am not, (laughs) a believer in a deity, and worse, to assume that those who do not believe in a deity are unable to discern right from wrong or even acknowledge the existence of good and evil, is so profound a falsehood that anyone who operates on that premise will be led to make wrong decisions and form destructive alliances in their quest for freedom. Just look at any conservative movement. And the belief that tyrannies and totalitarian regimes are a consequence of atheism will lead one astray at every turn because atheism as such is not the cause of collectivism. That's a non sequitur that totalitarian regimes are by their nature quote-unquote atheistic, is mere association. It is not cause and effect. Totalitarian regimes and tyrannies are caused by collectivist ideologies, most often supported by as many believers as non-believers alike. Atheism and theism are irrelevant in politics, since you can have just as many of each kind of person on either side of the political polarity. And I guarantee you, there are more Christian socialists than there are Christian capitalists. And you want to know what? I can also guarantee that there are more atheist socialists than there are atheist capitalists. The shift in thought that I'm looking for concerns the socialism to capitalism one, And the rest for me is a sidebar. But rest assured that I would align myself with a Christian, Muslim, Jewish capitalist over any atheist socialist on any day of the week, (laughs) including one week from today, when you are, as always, invited to join us on our eternal journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be As head of the Catholic Church, Pope Benedict is the boss of every Catholic priest in the world. He's effectively king of the pedos. (laughs) I read about a Catholic priest that exposed himself so they defrocked him. They don't help themselves, do they? 
Well, they do, that's part of the problem. <laughs> this scandal could bring the Catholic Church to its knees. <laughs> You've got to finish that one in your own head. <laughs> Somewhat ironically. I personally, I don't think the Pope should worry about the sex scandal. It'll all get sorted out soon enough when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, comes back from the made-up. <laughs> well, you all seem pretty happy with a little bit of Christian baiting, yeah? Should we take it up again? Yes. Okay. My girlfriend can be really loud during sex. I don't know why. She knows no one's coming to help. 